Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story, the House passed a new incarnation of the voting rights bill, and it used a trick to bypass voting rules. What they did was they used what the article said, What they used a bicameral bill related to allowing NASA to to lease its properties to other entities. They used that as a legislative vehicle for the voting rights package. And what they said the point was, is I think the, the way I understand it is it was a bill that was already in both chambers, the Congress and Senate, and it got past the point where it had to come to um, to be able to be discussed, which that would have been a hurdle for the voting rights bill on its own. So this bypasses that hurdle. But in order to actually vote on the bill, they would have to have 60 senators voting in favor uh, of a vote. And that's why they want to bust the filibuster, because if anybody over 60 senators can vote to end a filibuster, otherwise it'll just go on forever and it'll never come to a vote. But I thought it was obnoxious because it's bypassing processes. This is becomes more like the rule than the exception anymore. But anyway, uh, I had a new insight into what is actually going on in this voting legislation anyway. So they can I ask this- you something real quick. That sure. did, did you say that NASA would be leasing their property out to other people? They're permitted to lease some. It's it's a bike. It's a totally like they got a bill. This is kind of a common thing to do. They got a bill that's completely irrelevant or they take a bill that's very, very minor and had no controversy around it, and they insert other legislation into mm-hmm. it. And I think they did that with, I think they did that with Obamacare. And it's just, it's a, it's a tricky little process thing. I don't know anything about whether how NASA handles the properties that it owns with yeah. respect to leasing it to other entities. It's quite possible they put that bill up just to have a hollow shell to use. And the only reason I think that's possible is that the guy who put that bill up said, I had no idea this would be used for this purpose. And I was like, oh, oh right. maybe he had an idea that yeah. this would be used. <laughs> I didn't investigate like when it was brought up, but I assume it was this session. So um anyway, so what they so but the new legislation I've talked about this before. It would establish federal standards for voting access, including same-day voter registration. Uh, Election day would be a legal public holiday. It would require states to allow a minimum number of days for early voting, and it would allow people to vote absentee for any reason. And I can see issues with those uh, items, but I can also see how those items would be fine. Like I can see in, in all our experience with Garland, it's clear that the devil is in the details. If you make it secure, especially if you make sure that every eligible voter votes once or only once and no non-eligible voters vote and you just keep an eye on it and you don't leak information about how the vote is going because that would actually change how other people vote, who shows up to the polls. These details are really important. So the problem with it is if they are in control of all this stuff at the federal level, which in my opinion is certainly more corrupt than some of the states, then you are at the mercy of that corrupt federal government. And 
it's especially a problem because it's so Democrat dominated. But the extra wrinkle I realized was I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that it affects all election laws in the state and local governments. I could be wrong about that. I tried to investigate it. It was not crystal clear. But if that's the case, then Democrats could very craftily determine voting rules that apply to every locality and municipality and state for their own legislators and elected officials that have nothing to do with the federal government. Now, if that's the truth, if that's the case, then you actually look at the New York rule with new eyes. The New York rule that showed said um, that 800,000 non-citizens will be able to vote in their like very local municipal elections. What if that becomes a federal law? Do you think the people in rural Idaho are going to like that? As a federal law, then you could take another step and push immigrants into that place to change the nature of the local, local government. So that's when I would start to worry is if it really applies to all election laws. And then there was another thing that seemed to be directed at the Texas laws, the Georgia laws, where any place that has a history of voting rights violations uh would have to ask the federal government for the right to pass laws like they've passed in Texas and Georgia. And the Georgia law, I know, was totally misrepresented as to its impact or intent. And if if the given the court of public opinion, this would allow the federal government to stop a law like that. And there were a lot of good things in that law. So it's just a lot of overreach. And, you know, I just I didn't really have that insight into and how far reaching the impact would be for this. They keep saying there's no chance of it's passing. There's no chance of withdrawing the filibuster. I am not so sure. Yeah, it's looking like they're moving closer to that right now. There's some other action going on in Washington Involving January 6th as the one of the Oath Keepers and 10 others have been – there's been an indictment filed against them for seditious conspiracy related to January 6th. The grand jury indictment, it alleges that a guy named Stuart Rhodes, who they say is the head of the Oath Keepers and his co-conspirators, engaged in a conspiracy to oppose the lawful transfer of presidential powers by force, by preventing, hindering, or delaying by force execution of laws governing the transfer of power. So that that's the indictment that just came down not long before the show. And I kind of scrolled through some of it. It's like a 90-page indictment. But a couple of main takeaways, at least that stuck out for me, is almost all of the evidence that is presented comes from telegram communications. It comes from what the indictment calls a invite-only chat group on telegram that this guy was having a conversation with with other people. So or signal, excuse me, not telegram, signal. So when you're on those apps, they're watching. That's what we've seen them talk about with the the Department of uh, Defense guy, Department of Justice guy. They have expanded powers to watch and listen to anything without cause, without showing of criminal activity, and they're doing it right now. They're using trigger words. I saw that indictment come down, and I dug a little bit into Stuart Rhodes and some of the Oath Keepers, the the Southern Poverty Law Center stuff on them. So I wanted to get into that in the XR. So if you're 
um, a subscriber stick around after the free 30 and we'll dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. And here's an example of some of the evidence they presented. They said that in uh, the communications he was having shortly after it was actually on January 6th, he's actually November 5th, excuse me, 2020. He said that we aren't going through this without civil war too late for that prepare your mind and body so this was on november 5th before it had actually been announced that trump lost that he's stating this now that's not a good thing to say especially in these these times right now on on these chats but that's the type of thing that people say rhetorically now i don't know if he meant it seriously or rhetorically but now we start to blur the line of looking at the intent of people's actions versus what they actually say. You know, if we held the media accountable for the rhetoric that they said, then, you know, it'd be a different story, but they're holding people. It, oh you don't know. Gosh. You don't know if people mean it or not. That's funny because that's the problem with hate crime quote or terrorism. And I, and one of the things I came up with this guy, Stuart Rhodes won an award as a, for best essay on the bill of rights while he was at Yale law school. And it opened with, it opened with what is terrorism? It's really just a tactic for a crime. And that's what this indictment lays out. If you read through it, and wow. scan through it. Is it he wrote that almost 20 years ago. It lays out the organization process. So we've talked a lot about organizing on the left. Stacey Abrams mobilizing groups of people, the tactics they use when they go to these these public events. It's almost the exact same thing. It's like watching an indivisible training, except it's applied or being used by people who are considered to be right wingers. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. This must be the one they have the most evidence on because they dropped it in a timely fashion. And we should note that an indictment is not a conviction, even though the media well, I don't, indictments like convictions. Oh, I don't think that's it. I think this guy's a setup. I think he was a setup from the very beginning. So that could be the, the case. Oath Keepers, I think, seemed real, which is how he got 30,000 people to sign up. And it was totally valid and legit. We can talk about that in the XR. Well, I shouldn't say valid and legit, but what I read and I, I followed it from the beginning. It was established, I think, in 2012, I remember. And uh, so I think, but now when I look at his backstory, I just, I can't believe that a guy at Yale you know, Law School, yeah, you know, I just, oh, I just don't believe it. Yeah, at the very least, at the very least, this is going to be used as publicity. So even if no, nothing happens, there's no convictions, at the very least, it will live in the minds of people who buy into the January 6th narrative that this was the big fish that they got. Yeah. So either he can throw the trial and get convictions or they can plea bargain and get convictions. Yeah. So that's the only way it's going to go. One of those two ways. It's not they're not going to fight it, demonstrate right. that nothing happened and then uh, prevail. That's not what this is about for sure. And We've seen a lot of these think tanks talking about January 6th, and we've seen the Department of Justice, the DOD, talking about these new initiatives. Shortly before this, this guy Bruce Hoffman with the CFR, I know you're familiar with him from a lot of our Rockfin videos. He's the deepest of the deep state and probably shouldn't even use that term deep state at this point because this is the type of language they monitor now. But he wrote an article a couple of days ago titled A Year After January 6th is Accelerationism, the New Terrorist Threat. And so he goes on to describe what happened on January 6th as accelerationist strategy. You were mentioning tactics a moment ago. He's saying that what we saw was their strategy, and he describes accelerationism like this. He says, accelerationism holds that the modern Western democratic state is so 
my, mirrored in corruption and ineptitude that true patriots should instigate a violent insurrection to hasten its destruction to allow a new white dominated order to emerge. Well, it's funny that he should say that that's what it is, because for me, it was the Cloward and Piven strategy where they wanted to get everybody onto the dole so that they could actually collapse the system and usher in a completely communist system instead they weren't satisfied with the socialist system so it's the cloward and piven strategy right incrementalism or i guess yes which was which was cloward and yes cloward and piven was the accelerationism yes incrementalism is what they went with but accelerationism is what cloward and piven suggested he says that the objective of accelerationism here is to foment Divisiveness, polarization that will induce the collapse of the existing order and spark a second civil war. And then he describes provocation tactics, saying that they would do stuff like go to the Capitol in order to try and provoke a reaction by the government, which the accelerationists believe would then mobilize the public against the government. That's that's what he describes going on. And then he gives an, an example, examples of the type of accelerationism groups that were there on January 6th. I think you'll find this interesting. He says some of the foremost exponents of accelerationism today were at the Capitol on January 6th, and they included – now, mind you, we had this indictment today. They included the Oath Keepers, whose grab bag ideology states that paranoid anti-federalism envisions a restoration of self-government and natural rights. Can I also guess that he includes the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys? He does not name them specifically. Oh, he does name so the Oath Keepers are at the center, and those are the people who are in government. They're first responders. They're they are people who are licensed are licensed for to carry arms, basically in the government. Yes, the other groups that he named were QAnon people who he says believe that the election was stolen and that Trump stopped a worldwide satanic worshiping pedophile <laughs> ring run by Democrats and and Jews. He, he throws it. in Jews too to, to throw the anti-Semitism angle in there. And then he says Trump's own diehard Stop the Steal minions are also part of this accelerationist group. Uh oh. <laughs> I always avoided that word or the Kraken or any of yeah. that because I was like those things are. Catchphrases with uh, with ta- with legs. That's what they turn into anyway. So they are moving forward with this strategy. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. So on a more mundane note, in keeping with what's happening in Washington, which is not my favorite thing to do, but I was annoyed because I heard on the news this morning Nancy Pelosi saying this is a free market system. They, meaning we, should be able to. Uh, participate in it. So she and the and the problem is that John Ossoff, of all people, proposed a bill, put forth a bill, but he's not the only one who put forth this kind of bill that members of Congress should not be able to or their immediate family members, which I agree with also, should not be able to trade individual stocks in the stock market because uh, maybe do what he did, which is put it in a blind trust. And I totally agree with that. They should not be able to benefit from it. And the example that keeps coming up over and over, Business Insider did some work on it, but I think the New York Post covered it better. I put the links to all of that stuff in the show notes. But that Nancy Pelosi argued against it 
and she was just poo-pooing it, kind of laughing at it. But if you look at her own story, she's worth at least $100 million, at least. She's been, her father is a congressman, and I believe he was the mayor of Baltimore. And she's been in politics literally since she was a little girl. I could not find any non-government job that she ever had. She married her husband when she was 23. There's almost nothing about him. So it's not like he came to this marriage. Um, I think he was the same age, maybe. I think he might be might have been a kid too. So he amasses at least a hundred million dollars as it as investing without much disclosure. And I believe he's the one who has all like the tuna fishing in Guam that's exempted from the federal minimum wage laws, which she spearheads that legislation. So I've been on to her for the longest time as far as this goes, but they specifically highlight how much they benefited from tech stocks while she was slow walking tech regulation, for example. But there's a ton of that. And, uh, I just I find I I remember in 2012, this issue was on my radar and there were no limits whatsoever to trading from Congress, if I recall correctly. And in 2012, they passed something called the Stock Act. And I was amazed that it passed easily and that these guys no longer benefited from trading in things they had an influence over legislatively. But apparently uh, that it really wasn't that tight a rule. And even if it was there, many of them are just ignoring it. So I hate that. It goals me. I'd love to know what Chuck Schumer is worth. You look up Chuck Schumer's net worth. It says he's worth $1 million. Oh yeah. Right. There isn't a chance in the world. I mean, there isn't a chance in the world. And I remember, I think I mentioned this recently on some showers on if you watch the documentary, the main documentary on the fire festival, do you know that that scandal where they pr- planned this big festival on a desert island that had no facilities whatsoever? It went completely belly up. A lot of celebrities ended up with egg on their faces. I People lost that. money. And the guy who arranged it ended up in jail. I mean, it was really, really bad. And one weird snippet in the documentary, at the end, the guy's like out on bail. So he's already circling the drain. And a guy comes in who is a lawyer for Chuck Schumer and he's trying to like kind of off camera talk to this guy. And I just thought, wow, I think Schumer was an investor in all of that. And uh, it just made me realize there's so much more going on behind the scenes than you realize, but it's galling how rich these people get. Diane Feinstein's another one and she's on the watch list, the business insider watch list of sketchy stuff. Well, there was a Twitter account a few weeks back that was monitoring or posting stuff that Pelosi had in her her stock portfolio and just showing how much money she makes from it that apparently got taken down for a little while. I'm not surprised. They're supposed to reveal that stuff. But this Business Insider article talked about how not as transparent as it should be. A lot of these guys are and. I mean, even real estate, I think real estate was a big thing, too. So like real estate isn't publicly traded stock anyway. Generally speaking, they do have REITs and, you know, exchange traded fund type things. But there's such an impact on real estate for interest rate moves 
And yeah, they signal those a little bit, but if you really knew what was coming, imagine how what opportunities you could take advantage of for selling high and buying low. It's just you could make tons of money. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. So it's total conflict of interest, and that they would be making laws that govern us, maybe simply with the idea of making their own money. It's really outrageous. It makes me think of that political betting site, Predict It. I'm sure there's others as well. In fact, I know there's others. Their bets about what individual actions some politicians may or may not make, they could just completely game those betting platforms. They could look and see what the odds are. I doubt. Do you think those platforms have kind of unlimited betting Limits, you know, like, can you just bet the way you can with stocks where you could make a hundred million? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Because I think somebody has to take the other side of it. You know what I mean? I think with those bet, don't you think that maybe there's a market maker, but I feel like it would be hard to make the big money on those things. I don't know. Predict it's gotten pretty big. And I think where the gamification of society with the metaverse and everything, that's a whole nother story has begun. And I think that the betting around individuals and actions is part of that. Do Do you know how betting works? I always get confused about this. If you bet at a certain odds and then by the time the thing, you know, the horses, the betting stops, like if you go to the track, you bet and there are odds that you place your bet at. And then when the horses go off, the odds are different. Do you if you do you get paid? I think you get paid at the odds where the horse went off. And you get paid at the odds you bet on. Oh, really? That's the benefit of betting early. So if you bet early, if you you have a suspicion that somebody's going to win or uh, there's an injured player or something, and you bet when the odds are really, really like high or really, really low, then, you know, you get the benefit because the news will come out and that changes the odds. So say there's an injured player, the news comes out that that player's injured, then the odds are going to change. So if you make the bet before that, you benefit. Do you know if that's true for the, the track as well? I don't know about horse racing. I feel like the horse sports. racing isn't like that. So I don't know why Politico, it wouldn't be, though, because it kind of takes the benefit out of, I know. of choosing at certain odds. I know. I know. And then they start to game it. I'm just thinking with that kind of thing, there is so much gaming afoot. And even so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm most concerned about the fact that these guys have a totally different motive for the laws they push, and they completely lie about why they're doing it. And when it gets to the nitty gritty of like Guam being an exception to the minimum wage law, I just feel like that's inhumane even, but yeah, there's probably a lot of ways they can game their power. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the benefits. Chuck Schumer will be doing something else if he were only worth a million dollars. All right. So I want to tell you about this hacker. Have you heard about this hacker? No, not at all. Is a 19 year old guy who he's a German it guy. At least he calls himself an IT specialist. And he claims that he was able to remotely hack more than 25 Teslas across 13 countries, saying he was able to open and close the windows of the cars, turn on the radios, flash their headlights, start their engines, disable the car's anti-theft system, and was able to tell if a driver was inside the car at the time. He said he could not intervene and take control of a car somebody was driving it but he could suddenly blare the music very loudly and make the lights flash wow. while somebody was driving yeah, i nearly We're, crashed on a highway when an amber alert went off i was like what the hell is that it sounds like there's so, a, like a fire so engine in your car yeah. yeah nobody like i hear an amber alert it's like my alarm i just want to shut it off and yeah, I you stop. can shut it off you can shut off the in the settings yeah so 
he's apparently runs a company that it's its goal is to prevent you know people from around the world from to have get them to have protection against cyber attacks to prevent cyber intrusions and oh, so cool. this is like what what they do he looks around for vulnerabilities and different types of cloud software things that are connected to the smart world and does penetration testing of sorts on his own and then contacts the companies and lets them know what the vulnerabilities are tesla has contacted this guy and they're investigating it right now he says that the hack was not tesla's fault that it was a third party application that was connected to the car that left the users vulnerable he did not name specifically what that third party company was because he says they have not fixed the flaw yet but he's given all the documents and screenshots to bloomberg so and they're mm. they're not saying that this didn't happen they're saying it did happen they want us on the smart grid Yet we see every single day that all of these things can get hacked. They want chips in our brains. We see that everything that they put on the smart grid can get hacked. There's never going to be a time when they cannot get hacked. Yet they want yeah. us in the metaverse. And they always, I mean, part of the problem is that they require back doors. You could make it hack proof. McAfee could have made it hack proof. This kid could probably make it hack proof, but they won't let you make it hack proof. They, meaning the government, will tell private enterprise not to make it hack proof. Yeah. Well, kind of messed up. All right. Back doors in too, like you said. Before we get to the deepest dive of the day, which is from COVID to cannabis and Prozac, a case study in telling good science from bad. I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR. Some clarification on why NFTs are keeping America up at night. And the metaverse is here for cows. But before we get to that. I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor for today, Granite State Spice Blends. Write this down, promo code Tunnel People Unite 10. That's all lowercase, no spaces, Tunnel People Unite 10 for 10% off. Here you go. Go to your spice drawer. Here's your challenge. Check the ingredient labels on those plastic bottles of stale, discolored powder that have been there for years. If you're seeing silicone dioxide, try calcium phosphate, monosodium glutamate, and a bunch of other scientific terms you can't pronounce. It's time for an overhaul. Do you really want to be eating the ground-up version of what's in those tiny packages you toss from your shoeboxes that clearly state, do not eat? Well, that is what silicone dioxide is, and it's found in loads of FDA-approved foods disguised as an anti-caking agent. I wouldn't eat this, and I sure don't want anyone listening to the propaganda report to be eating it either. After all, we need to stay healthy for the big move into the tunnels, Or the Outlands, Matt. After you chuck all of those stale spice blends or use them as pest control in your garden, come over to GraniteStateSpiceBlends.com and refill your pantry with a load of small batch spice blends that are sure to please. Matt Pierce and his wife, Kim, own and operate Granite State Spice Blends in Salem, New Hampshire. They are a craft spice blender creating some tasty concoctions for meats, veggies, and anything else you want to add flavor to. Their ingredients are treated with the attention and care only a professional chef can give to such an important part of your food the flavor they toast all the seeds and chilies over applewood and fogo brand premium lump charcoal using a big green egg and lodge cast iron and their herbs are muddled in a marble mortar to release the full flavor and aromatics resulting in a spice blend that will transform your food into something amazing They never add any mystery fillers or chemically derived flavoring agents. It's just herbs and spices. So out with the old and in with the new, Granite State Spice Blends will bring the right flavor to you. Find them at GraniteStateSpiceBlends.com. Live free or die. And remember, 
Tunnel People Unite 10 will get 10% off your entire order. Now, I can personally attest to how delicious and pure and natural those spices are. I have probably one of each. I make dips. I just mix sour cream and mayo with a packet of those or some of that, make a great dip. Uh, Taco Tuesday completely changed because now I use Taco Tuesday. And I was pretty disappointed that my husband preferred it to my tacos. So anyway, uh, but... Everyone can benefit now. So please support GraniteStateSpiceBlends.com and also support us. They support us. You could support us here on Rockfin. So if you want all of our DNBXR, all of our extended release interviews, plus our exclusive to Rockfin deep dives, which really were the foundation of our propaganda report podcast from the very beginning. You can find that only on Rockfin. Also on Thursdays, the DNB XR is live on Rockfin. So if you get the free 30, you can see it live on YouTube on Thursdays. But if you want to stay and hear the whole XR uh, live, stay here on Rockfin. Or if you're watching it on YouTube now, go over to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and join today. And you can watch the end of this in real time. So with that, on to our deepest dive of the day. So here's the thing. Did you see this, that cannabis compounds might prevent COVID-19 infections? Did you see that? I did you see that. Yeah. I thought you would. It's like it was uh, something that would catch our eye, I think, because of the hemp cast that we did, which you can find here on Rockfin, I'm pretty sure, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can find it there. Here, we did that with Chris, our friend from True Ham Science, and Aviva, our friend who we met for, through Garland, who's also an election integrity activist. Uh, but this is not native advertising. I'm not doing that to promote CBD. I'm just saying that it might be, though, because I read it in an article that was a B2B cannabis thing out of New Jersey, which recently legalized weed. Anyway, um, and I do think that THC weed and, you know, whatever the vaping and all that has been basically weaponized and they want people to switch from alcohol to weed because we are kind of culturally familiar with alcohol and as much damage as it does, maybe they feel like they can had a whole new wave in that really, really strong THC that uh, was putting kids in the hospital before COVID-19. I don't know what the, what the reason they would be pushing this, but I think it may, um, you know, I think that the CBD people are genuinely excited about this. And it does seem like a legit study where researchers from Oregon State University discovered that two chemical ca- compounds commonly found in hemp. And Chris told us about this CBGA and CBDA has the potential to keep COVID from entering the cells. So. I don't know if that means that if you eat it or smoke it, it will bind to those spike proteins and prevent them from entering your cells. I don't know about the delivery method, but uh, it's something that they're going to keep their eye on. But at the same time I was looking at that, I stumbled on some news that I had talked about before. Back in the day, from the very beginning, I had caught this stuff and it seemed it seemed real. I, I felt like this was the truth and not just trying to get everybody on Prozac, but that remember when we talked about I mean, two years ago, or at least a year and a half ago, that Prozac was keeping COVID people out of the hospital. Do you remember Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. So there were two articles I read today 
because I was trying to investigate where it went from there. And there was one article from November 2021 where they said lower deaths were reported among people who were on Prozac. And they took a they took 80,000 people in the hospital with COVID uh, who were not on Prozac and 80,000 people who were in the hospital with COVID who were on Prozac. And they said there was a significant uh, significant lower death rate among those on Prozac in the hospital. That study irritated me because it's the fallacy that I think is inherent in the Nobel Prize winner uh, for economics this year, where he basically says, take information that's out there and do your studies based on that and use that to inform policy. Now, the problem with doing a study like that, this is that there is absolutely no sense of whether people who are on Prozac have other things going for them. Maybe it's as simple as they sleep more or sleep less, or it goes back one order of degree and people who go on Prozac in the first place tend to take care of their health more. That's possible. You know, so it could be that it's correlated with people who are already, or maybe, maybe people on Prozac are much younger. That's possible. So I thought that was an example of bad science. However, there was an article, perhaps this was one of the early ones I had read from September 2020, which said morbidity and mortality rates from COVID infections are lower with people who are on Prozac. And what they did, and it was, again, significant, what they did is they got people who were admitted to the hospital with COVID uh, or for COVID and gave half of them Prozac. And notice that the half they gave. So if it was a double blind study and there was no there, it was just random who got in the control group, who got in the experimental group and the doctors didn't know and the patients didn't know who was getting which drug. And still they found that uh, it would work. But they then I would accept the findings. But they did make one mistake, which was they said they didn't. I didn't see. I'm sure it was in there. If I had gone to the original study, I should have seen if it was double blind, because one of the factors was they said not only is um, uh, death less with the Prozac people, intubation is less. So but intubation is a decision. So if it weren't blind, the factor of intubation alone could make the difference. So if they weren't intubating people on Prozac because it wasn't double blind, that, in my mind, blows up the whole study. I just thought it would be worthwhile to kind of do a deep dive into what makes a study good or what makes a study bad. Like we talked about how do you analyze news? My sister says, like, TLM, how do you think like Monica? And people have asked us in our Q&A before what how do we how do we um discern what's good and what's bad in some of these stories and i just feel like those kind of details anything that could affect the outcome or anything that could give you a false sense of causality because of you don't know which direction the car the cause is or there's some other thing that's correlated those are those are ways that science can not only be just not informative but they can be manipulated yeah, and sometimes the reporting on the study will completely take one little piece of it out of context, and they'll only report on that and find a completely different conclusion than the actual study found if you go and look at the study, which sometimes they don't even link the study probably because of that case. 
But yeah, I think studies are so easy to, easy to manipulate. Bernays was a bit, Edward Bernays was a big advocate of here's how you get some credibility towards a a point of view that you want to propagate is just create an arm of your organization and then give it a science name and then say so and so science institute found. I mean, and that I mean that was yeah. Generally speaking, generally speaking, just calling it a study absolutely gives it more credibility. But even if you have a study, you need to dig into the details to see yeah. if it was, it, it really has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. It has to be random. It has to be robust in size and it has to be double blind. Absolutely. I think that wraps oh, it up today. I forgot got- to make our announcements. There are a couple of cool things coming up. First of all, We have a Zoom party on Saturday at 11, 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern for patron saints. So if you want, it's on internet privacy. This was actually a request by a big supporter of the show. And uh, so far, I think people are really excited about it. We have a couple of experts who are going to lay it out for us and then allow us to do some Q&A and maybe walk us through even a process if that's what people want. So if you aren't a patron saint, you want to be a patron saint just for this Zoom party, you can join um, just for this one cycle and then get your tier back to where it was before. Uh, or to a lower tier that's like currently available. I don't know. Um, might want to look and see if you're grandfathered into a super cheap tier. I don't know if you would do it then, but the patron saints uh, tier is where the Zoom parties are. So you can check that out. That's this Saturday. And also I'm trying out a new thing. I'm going to do a locals live at five cocktails and Q&A Friday at five. So locals is very personal. So we can't do it together. So Binkley and I are going to alternate. We've always wanted to do Q&A live streaming there because they have like a little, they encourage live streaming, but we have to do it one at a time. So I'm going to kick it off Friday at five o'clock my time, five o'clock Pacific, a locals live at five cocktails and Q&A. And if you want to try that, you can get a first month free with try locals free. And if you don't like it, you have to cancel, but that way you can participate tomorrow. And then I think we're going to kick people over to the dbpdiscord.com for a little after party. So we've got a lot of fun things this weekend. Uh, check it out locals on Friday and Patreon on Saturday. Fantastic. You guys can find your drive time news blast every week to afternoon at the prop report.com or your favorite podcasting platform or the propaganda report podcast feed. If you want access to that, extra content that we put out you can check us out on patreon on rockfin rockfin.com slash propaganda report on locals propreport.locals.com all right thank you guys for watching and we will talk to you guys in the dmb xr have a fantastic rest of your day